going to jump right back into the story of Joseph. So in chapter 39, we realize, we see that Joseph is in Potiphar's house as a slave, but listen, he is doing so well. He is a hard worker, which is just, it just astounds me because he was, you know, before his father's favor, probably more in the house and all of that. But he comes to Egypt, he's in the house of Potiphar and he's a hard worker. He doesn't know the language, the culture and all those things, but he is learning he is putting in the energy and in the time to to get familiar with this land and what is expected of him. And verses two to six tell us this, the Lord was with Joseph and he was a successful man and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord made all he did to prosper in his hand. So Joseph found favor in his sight and served him. Then he made him overseer of his house and all that he had, he put under his authority. So it was from that, from the time that he made him overseer of his house and all that he had, that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in the house and in the field. Thus he left all that he had in Joseph's hand. And he did not know what he had except for the bread which he ate. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. All right, that's a lot. We are reading there that God is with Joseph. We don't hear Joseph complaining and murmuring and cursing his brothers. He is working. He is serving. He is doing a great job. And God is with him. He has favor on his life. He's serving with integrity. He's serving with honor. And so much so that Potiphar like leaves him in charge of everything in his house. He's not checking and he's not looking to see what he has. He's letting Joseph take charge, do what he's got to do because he is blessed because of Joseph's hand on his things. That is such a great report. Maybe said of us that we who walk with God, that we serve well our employees or our spouses or our children, that we're great friends, that we're great neighbors, and because they can see that God is with us, that people want us to be in their company. People want us to be around them. People want to be in business with us because we have integrity. We work hard and God, his hand is on our lives. Oh, I pray that for myself as I pray that for you. So that's what the Bible tells us about Joseph. Joseph is, is prospering in the role that he is in right now. Now, the last part of it says that Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. So he's good looking. He's probably well built, working hard. Now, that is an important part to the action because Potiphar's wife begins to take notice of Joseph. She begins to desire Joseph and she keeps pressing him to lie with her, but he refuses. All right, Joseph has integrity. Joseph honor, he fears God. He refuses. She keeps pressing and pressing and pressing. He, he says this to her in verses eight to 10. Look, my master does not know what is with me in the house and he has committed all that he has to my hand. There is no one greater in this house than I, nor has he kept back anything from me but you because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? So we see in Joseph's answer, he's trying to talk sense into her, but then he says, how can I do this great wickedness? So sleeping with another man's wife, Joseph calls great wickedness. He says, if I do how can I do this great wickedness and then sin against, not Potiphar, against God? 
So we see his integrity, we see his character and his respect and reverence for God. It's a heart position of someone that is submitted to God. The temptation, I'm sure, was great, but he chose to obey God instead. So Potiphar's wife is pressing him, and she really, really wants Joseph, and Joseph is not having it. But one day, the um, the house is empty. There are no servants or no men in the house. We don't know if Pot Potiphar's wife set this up, but Joseph goes into the house to do his work, and the wife catches him by his clothing and, and his by his garment, and she's trying to pressure him even more. And what does he do? He doesn't try to, you know, dissuade her or have an argument with her. He runs. Joseph runs. But when he's running, he leaves the garment in her hand. So first the wife, realizing that she's not getting through, tells all the men of the house that Joseph has tried to rape her. And she has the garment as proof. And then when her husband comes home, she tells him this same story. Potiphar is enraged and he is so upset and I'm sure disappointed in Joseph and he puts him in prison. But he doesn't put him in the prison with all the common um, criminals. He puts him in the prison where the king's prisoners were confined. We don't read Joseph defending himself or lashing out at anybody. Joseph goes where he is sent, which is prison. But God is with Joseph. Verses 22 to 23 tells us this. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy, and he gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever they did there, it was his doing. The keeper of the prison did not look into anything that was under Joseph's authority, because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it prosper." He goes from slavery in Potiphar's house to prison. Two difficult, challenging, hard situations. The writer records for us that God is with Joseph and causes him to flourish even where he's at. Wow. That, that's just to show you. That's just to show you that God never leaves you. Sold into slavery about 17 years old, and he is with Potiphar for about 11. So we're seeing, we're, we're starting to see that it's a long time. The dreams that God gave, remember at the beginning, those dreams are still real. The promises are still real. But look at the journey. Look at the journey. Joseph is in the prison, and then two people who are part of the king's company, the butler and the baker, are put into the same prison because they offended the pharaoh. Now, the butler and the baker both dreamed, and they did not know the interpretation of the dream. So one morning, after they've had these dreams, Joseph comes in because Joseph's taking care of them. And he sees them, and he asks them why they're so sad. Joseph is in prison on a rape charge. He has been in he was in slavery before that under with Potiphar. He has been cruelly treated by his brother. Yet even in this difficult situation, he is still aware of other people and in tune with feelings. 
us, but just shut down. We become so bitter. We don't want to do anything. We don't talk to anybody. We don't want to go anywhere. But he he looks at them and he realizes they're they are sad and he inquires why they're sad. Like this just shows you the type of person that Joseph was. He was not consumed with bitterness. He was not consumed with anger or with hatred. So when they ask him why, when he asks them why they're sad, they tell him that they've had a dream and no one knows the interpretation of it, right? And so he he says to them in verse 8 of chapter 40, do not interpretations belong to God? Tell them to me, please. So he's identifying himself with God and he believes that he can help them because he is uh He's part of the covenant with God. Now, the butler tells Joseph the dream, and he shares the interpretation of it. So in verses 13 to 15, we read, Now within three days, this is Joseph saying the interpretation. Now within three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your place, and you will put Pharaoh's cup in his hand according to the former manner when you were his butler. But remember me when it is well with you, and please show me kindness. Make mention of me to Pharaoh and get me out of this house. For indeed, I was stolen away from the land of the Hebrews. And also I have done nothing here that they should put me into this dungeon. So he's not complaining as much as he is. He's found an opportunity to, to leave this place. And this was all by God's design. As we go on, you will know why. All right. So the baker now hears the, the, the interpretation of the dream and he is just excited. It's like, oh, am I going to go back out too? But when Joseph interprets the dream for him, it's not the same. He's like, listen, in three days, you will be hung by Pharaoh. So the butler will be restored, but the baker will be hung. Now on the third day, after the interpretation of these dreams, it's Pharaoh's birthday. He throws his big feast and he restores the butler, but he hangs the baker just like Joseph had interpreted. But the butler doesn't remember Joseph. Oh my goodness, if that happened to us, what would we do? Oh, that's another opportunity for bitterness and anger to come in, but we don't see that in Joseph. So it is not yet the timing for him to come out. As hard as that may be for us to see and walk with, it is not yet the time. But as we go into chapter 41, we see that at the end of two full years, so Joseph is in prison for two full years, we read in the first uh, seven verses this account. He stood by the river and suddenly there came out of the river seven cows, fine looking and fat, and they fed in the meadow. Then behold, seven other cows came up after them out of the river, ugly and gaunt, and stood by the other cows on the bank of the river. And the ugly cows ate up the seven fine-looking and fat cows. So Pharaoh awoke. And then he slept and dreamed a second time. And suddenly seven heads of grain came up on one stalk, plump and good. Then behold, seven thin heads, blighted by the east wind, sprang up after them. And the seven thin heads devoured the seven plump heads, plump and full heads. And so Pharaoh awoke. And indeed, it was a dream. So he has these two dreams, a little bit weird, right? And he calls for all the magicians and the wise men in Egypt to come and interpret it for him. And no one can do it. No one knows what it means. All the diviners and everybody who practices magic don't know what these mean. But that is the moment where the butler remembers Joseph. He tells Pharaoh about Joseph. And Pharaoh calls 
for Joseph. Pharaoh is like at his wit's end. He needs an answer. So he calls for Joseph. Verses 14 to 15 says, say this. Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they brought him out quickly out of that dungeon. And just hold on to that word quickly, because you can be praying and asking God to deliver you, deliver you, deliver you, and time is coming. And then when the moment is right, it can happen quickly, all right? So he comes quickly out of the dungeon, the Bible says, and he shaved, changed his clothing, and came to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have had a dream and there is no one who can interpret it. But I have heard it said of you that you could understand a dream and interpret it. So Joseph answered Pharaoh saying, it is not in me. God will give Pharaoh an answer of peace. Joseph is giving all of the glory and the honor to God, and he's naming him as his source of understanding, all right, in front of Pharaoh, who is the world's most powerful leader. And then go, Joseph goes ahead and he interprets the dreams, and he explains that both dreams mean the same thing. He explains that it's going to be seven years of plenty in the land of Egypt, and then followed by a period of seven years of great great famine, all right? So this is something that God's about to do. He showed it to the Pharaoh. And Joseph tells Pharaoh this. It's like, listen, select a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. And he will appoint officers to collect one fifth of the produce in seven, the seven years of plenty. And this food will be a reserve for the seven years of famine that will come after. Joseph, he interprets the dream, but also gives a strategy. And he is creating a position for himself without even knowing it. And he says to Pharaoh, this is what you should do so that in the seven years of famine, you will still have food. And Pharaoh says to his servants, can we find such a one as this, a man in whom the spirit of God is? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, inasmuch as God has shown you all this, there is no one as discerning and wise as you. Pause. This is not him just complimenting Joseph. He actually knows that there's no one because he's called for all his magicians and wise men. And he says to him, you shall be ruler over my house and all my people shall be ruled according to your word. Only in regard to the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, see, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. So let's pause there. Let's go back a little bit. Hated by his brothers, put in a, a pit, sold into slavery, put into prison on a rape charge. Now he has risen to the point, the place where he is second in command in Egypt. Yeah. Makes you just stop a moment and think of how amazing God is, but also what the journey can entail to go to the place where you were destined to be. Joseph is elevated and his name is changed. They give him an Egyptian name that means treasury of the glorious rest. And he is given a wife, all right? He is given a wife named Asenath, who is the daughter of a priest, a priest of On. And the Bible tells us that Joseph is 30 when he stood before Pharaoh. 30, 17, it started out with the dreams and being sold as a slave, and now he is 30. Time has passed. 
Joseph is elevated. He's he's in this place. He's in this position that only God could have orchestrated. An Egyptian taking a strategy and listening to and um, following the instructions of a Hebrew. Where the Egyptians thought that they were better than every other type of person. But they followed his strategy and it works. With his new life, with his new wife, Joseph will go on to have two children. The first one, which is Manasseh, which is causing to forget. That's what it means. And he names him that because he's saying, God has caused me to forget all of my father's, um, the toil of uh, and everything that he's experienced. And then the second child is Ephraim. And that means double ash heap. I shall be fruitful. So God has caused him to be fruitful in the land of his affliction. And verse 57 lets us know that all the countries came to Joseph in Egypt to buy grain because the famine was severe in all the lands. So when the time of plenty came, there was a lot. There was a lot. They followed his instructions, his strategy. And then when the famine came, it came so harshly that um, all of the countries, they didn't come to the Pharaoh. They came to Joseph in Egypt to buy grain. Wow. Talk about vindication. But it's not just about vindication. It's about the plan of God. We're, we're getting towards the ending of Genesis, but I want, to, I want you to see what God does and how he used Joseph's life, even the, the difficulties and everything that he endured, how he set him up to be such a blessing. 